The Future Works, a podcast for workforce professionals, hosted by me, Melinda Mack. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Future Works podcast. It is the beginning of August 2021, and we're enjoying the last days of summer and, of course, the Olympics. But things are still not 100% back to normal, as we all hope they would be by this summer. Uh, COVID-19 is circulating the globe as the Delta variant is emerging and just really sort of rearing its ugly head. And it's taking hold of much of the country and much of New York State, where we're unsure of what's going to happen this fall and, and going into the winter. We also just got word that Governor Andrew Cuomo, his conduct has left many wondering how much longer he'll remain in office, which of course, as you can imagine, would be an incredible and amazing shift here in New York State. Uh, we also are at a point where unemployment rates in many places across New York are under 6 or 7 percent. Outside of New York City in particular, New York City is still over 10 percent. However, when you start to include those who dropped out of the labor market, much of the state, the real employment rate is much, much higher. And unsurprisingly to many of us in workforce, this is also a sign that the labor market is course correcting. Many workers who left employment in 2020 are far more discerning about where they're going to work. Workers are looking for better pay, working conditions, advancement, uh, but many also lack the skills that are necessary to get into these new or emerging occupations. In D.C., President Joe Biden is pushing his multi-trillion dollar infrastructure package. And I think the hope is that it's approved within the coming months or even weeks. Um, And this ambitious timeline really underscores the administration's desire to get something passed through Congress relatively quickly. There has been so much that has changed surrounding this infrastructure package as it relates to workforce development and job training. Um, We're going to be joined today by Katie Spiker uh, from the National Skills Coalition, who's basically spends all of her day thinking about this. Um, And our hope is that Katie can really help break down what's happening, what's not happening, where workforce needs to be included or elevated, um, but also more importantly, where we need to do some more additional advocacy work ahead of this proposal, hopefully being passed, but also, of course, ahead of the American Jobs Plan. So with that, I'm going to start today's show. Um, Again, I'm so grateful to have Katie joining us today. My name is Katie Spiker. I'm the Managing Director of Government Affairs at National Skills Coalition. Uh, we partner a lot with, with NIATEP and with many of your partners um, and rely on you all for, for a lot of the, the advocacy and expertise that you bring to the federal, federal policy and state policy conversations. Um, so in DC right now, it's kind of a, um, it's both a really busy time and a time where things could go in a couple different directions. So for folks that haven't been following the minutia of what's happening, um, right now the Senate is in the midst of voting on a bipartisan infrastructure deal. This is an infrastructure deal that focuses on things, uh, roads, bridges, broadband, some water infrastructure. Um, it was a deal that was negotiated among uh 
both Republicans and Democrats in the Senate and the White House, and so really represents what the Biden administration has talked about in their efforts to be bipartisan. When they say infrastructure, what do they mean? Because I know that was a point of contention at one point. People may remember that in the American Jobs Plan, which was what the Biden administration released as their infrastructure deal, or in- it included a wide range of things. It included manufacturing, research and development. It included um, support for a, a healthcare workforce and healthcare workers. It included a hundred billion dollar proposed investment in workforce development, as well as investments in repairing and maintaining bridges, in creating and building out our electric electric infrastructure, in modernizing wastewater and water treatment. Um, all of so as well as those things that are traditionally included in like surface transportation and energy bills, um, green energy re- uh, recommendations that the American Jobs Plan had a very comprehensive definition of, of infrastructure. Um, after the administration released that this spring, they began working really closely with a bipartisan group of senators to try and negotiate a bipartisan infrastructure deal. And through those negotiations, um, what was a massive trillions of dollars package um, got got shrunk down to to just under a trillion dollars of spending and really focused on building and maintaining roads and bridges, um, energy infrastructure, water infrastructure, uh, broadband infrastructure. The $100 billion that was proposed as part of the American Jobs Plan for workforce development investments fell out of the bipartisan package because none of the members that were negotiating made it a high enough priority. Obviously, billion dollars that was proposed as part of the American doesn't make sense because in order to build and maintain all of the, the projects of the bipartisan infrastructure deal, because none of the workers, members that particularly needed a higher wash jobs in industries that have been disproportionately hit by the, the current crisis. So people that are going to need that reskilling and retraining to move from retail, hospitality, other jobs into things like construction and manufacturing. Um, but but as this deal moves forward, it excludes anything that would focus on workforce on community and technical colleges, on training, and just focuses on those roads and bridges. And did the, and in some ways I'm wondering as, as I'm thinking about this, did it fall away because they needed to get that number lower and they just sort of took an ax and sort of cut it back? Or was there sort of indications that they just didn't think it was important or necessary? I think it's probably both, you know, yes, the, I mean, everything because of the bipartisan efforts, they were, they were trying to fit within a number that both more conservative members were able to, to sell to their constituencies and, and pass, as well as a number that that um, uh, folks that wanted to spend more money were able to champion. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes back to what we say a lot about workforce development. There's bipartisan support for it. The lead negotiator on this infrastructure package uh, for the Republicans is Senator Portman, who's been the lead, you know, a huge champion for workforce, for skills. Um, has led on a few of the, the bills that, that we uh, have talked about before, including Jobs Act that would expand Pell Grants to high-quality short-term programs, the Builds Act that would target infrastructure industries for job training and industry partnerships. Um, so these are members that have, have talked about the importance, but they, they didn't require the kind of investments in, in workforce in order to uh, support the bill. So what's next? So, you know, we've been, again, talking about, we've been doing letters, we've been, you know, having conversations with members of the House and the Senate. What's next? Is this actually going to move? I know that the Biden administration has made this a significant priority. 
Um, I think I've seen like four press conferences where the press secretary has mentioned it over and over again. Uh, is it a priority? Is it going to move, do you think? And when do you think it will? Yeah, so right now we're in the end stages of the, the debate and figuring out what this final bill will look like before the Senate votes for it. Um, Senate Leader Schumer, Senator Schumer really has the, the deciding factor about when they're going to stop taking amendments from members, suggestions from members about what's going to be in this bill and just call a vote. Realistically, um, because of procedure in the Senate, that likely won't happen until this weekend. Um, uh, there may be, you know, vote, voting on, from the Senate may bleed over into to next week before we get a final vote on the package. Um, but it seems like this package, the, the infrastructure bill will pass the Senate. It then moves to the House. One thing that's still up in the air about the Senate passage is that two of our champions, again, referencing Senator Pertman, a Republican from Ohio, and Senator Kane, a Democrat from Virginia, who have led on the Jobs Act, um, which would extend uh, Pell Grants to high quality short-term training programs, um, are, are trying to offer an amendment to the infrastructure package that would include, um, would include a provision consistent with the Jobs Act, which would be the only major provision within this infrastructure bill that would address the workforce needs and training needs of people who are going to, to need to fill the jobs that would be funded under the, the project. Um, so folks who are part of our mailing list might have seen a, um, an alert that we sent out a couple of days ago asking folks to reach out to their members of Congress. We're really down to the next couple of hours before, before Leader Schumer will decide whether this amendment can move forward. Um, and it's held up right now in some procedural processes. But, um, but we could be talking next week about a huge success in that really reflects the advocacy of folks in your network and across the country in recognizing the need for this kind of amendment and this kind of provision. So once the bill passes, um, including provisions based on jobs acts or, up, or otherwise, it'll move over to the, the House. Um, Speaker Pelosi has um, has a lot to manage when she's trying to, to uh, push through um, both an infrastructure package that the Senate passed, as well as the other big piece of legislation that um, that the House and Senate will take up next, which is which is a budget resolution and then the reconciliation process. So this is a process by which um, uh, the Senate can move through uh, supplemental funding and um, uh, and legislation that uh, that would only require 51 or just the Democrats, 51 votes or just the Democrats to support. Um, this is a process that's been used before, um, both earlier this year, but then also by um, by Republican administrations and Congresses and Democrat Republic uh, Democrat administration and Congresses to. Um, uh, to move through really big legislation, but only need one party support to do it. So this um, this reconciliation package, the numbers that we've heard out is that overall it'll it'll likely be around a three point five trillion dollar deal, um, and uh, and the the next stage in the negotiations, both among the Democrats and then on a bipartisan basis, is um, is for leadership. So Leader Schumer and then and then Speaker Pelosi to craft legislation within that $3.5 trillion top level that enables moderate Dems to be able to run on and still succeed in midterms next year um, and sell it to their, to their constituents and keeps in line the more progressive members who are pushing for spending at a much higher level and on programs um, that, that have such intense need right now as people try and uh, recover and, and um, respond to the current crisis. 
So what we've heard is that um, the, this $3.5 trillion deal paired with the bipartisan infrastructure deal um, is, the, is Democrats' attempt to pass legislation that captures all of the proposals that we saw from the Biden administration in their American Jobs Plan that we talked about earlier, and then the America's Family Plan, um, which was the, the companion to the American Jobs Plan that included those proposals around free community college and basic needs and um, expanded childcare. Um, and, and so all of those proposals um, are likely to be on the table for this $3.5 trillion plan. However, even at the level of $3.5 trillion in spending, there's still not enough there to capture all of the proposals that the administration has put out. And so programs are gonna have to be cut from those levels that, that were proposed from the White House. Um, if we look back on the, the history of the conversation that we were having last July and that we've had since then, workforce has really only gotten about three, $345 million of dedicated investments across the, um, the trillions that we've spent on other really critical uh, needs for people in response to the current crisis, but there hasn't been investment, dedicated investment in workforce. And so as we look now to what programs are gonna to need to be cut in order to fit under that $3.5 trillion top line, history is gonna suggest that workforce is on the chopping block. Um, and so without intense advocacy about the importance to workers, to families, to communities, and to businesses, about dedicated investments in workforce, um, I would expect, and we're hearing rumors, that there is a movement to try and, to try and cut what the president proposed, that $100 billion, um, to as much of uh, to to a significantly lower amount. At one point, there were rumors about a thirty billion dollar investment, and I think even that um, is is not guaranteed without intense advocacy to members about how important these investments are. I wish I could say I was surprised, yeah. um, but as you know, just at least in my tenure, maybe it's because we we started in workforce development. 20 years ago, they started to really <laughs> cut the budgets, but it's money has continued to decline year over year. Um, what impact do you think the rumbling around um, unemployment insurance and the fact that people don't want to get off of unemployment insurance and return back to work is having on um, legislators' opinions on whether or not workforce development needs to be invested in? I, I know we hear here all the time that, well, there's open jobs and there's people who can fill them. Like, why can't they just go take those jobs? And it's seems like a, a huge lift sometimes to try to describe the fact that, you know, if you're coming out of the restaurant industry and you worked there for 20 years and now you're recognizing maybe you want to have better hours and maybe you want to go into advanced manufacturing, you can't just like walk out of, you know, working at a Denny's and then walk into working at an advanced manufacturing floor. You need some skill development. There's some basic math or other things that you need to learn. Um, but often the government, folks in the government don't want to pay for it. They think the employer should pay for it. They think the, the individual should pay for it. Um, I don't know. What are, what are some of the pieces that you think might potentially be holding people back? Or what's the rumor mill saying um, why legislators might not see as much value placed on skills development as they would at, say, childcare? I definitely think that there is an assumption both from members that are not, don't have workforce as their top stated priority, that, that something like an infrastructure package, well, of course it already includes investments in workforce. Like I think, I think for the same reason that it's so logical to all of us that training should be part of these packages, I think that a lot of members think that they just 
it, it's that next step of saying there are not investments there. And here's what those investments need to be in order to work for communities across the country, and especially for communities of color and women who have historically been excluded from infrastructure jobs. Um, so, so I do think that some of it is, is an awareness piece. Um, you know, I think the, the, the other piece is, um, is on the part of advocates, part of what I think is gonna be really effective now is messages that make it very simple for policymakers about what we need. Workers and businesses need investments in training to help people reskill and upskill to get jobs that are created by any investment in infrastructure or otherwise. And I think that the more that we can paint the picture of what that looks like, what it looks like for someone to take that kind of training, to be able to read a blueprint and be able to operate a machine and be able to um, make that transition from a retailer hospitality job, that, um, that that's what's going to be really, really effective and critical now. Um, I, I also think it goes back to um, building up our champions. So there are lots of members who see workforce development as reasonable and as a good thing, but it doesn't rise to the issue that they are willing to exert their capital on. Um, and so I think that for members who are inclined to work on this, um, making sure that they understand the, the most effective talking points, the stories from your network, like now, now is the time for those champions to be engaged. Um, I think it matters the numbers and the scope of people who are, who are talking to leadership, but it's also really the, the member who's willing to use their, their capital to make a call to the speaker to say, this is a priority to me and to make a call to your senator and say, Leader Schumer, this is what I need to get on board with this bill. That's super helpful. And I think one of the things we've we've recognized now that we have the leader, right, Leader Schumer, is just how much more discerning um, some of our members are in terms of their willingness to make a call. Um, you know, they're sort of, as you, you sort of said, holding on to that political capital to the, for the thing they really care about. Uh, but one thing that you said that that made me really think about messaging, it's really around, you know, depending on where you live in our state, some of this is around equity and economic mobility. But I'm also imagining in other places where there's already, you know, worker shortages, you know, part of this is like we need to be able to make sure there's enough workers to be able to do these things. And so really sort of focusing on the need to be able to train and retrain people uh, who already live in your community, who want to get better jobs or good jobs, who want to work in infrastructure, uh, that we need to be able to have the resources to support those individuals because the employers are not going to have the resources to do this, right? Um, last thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go, WIOA reauthorization. Again, it's up again. We could have another 10 or 15 years before it's reauthorized, like uh, or WIOA, right? WIOA. Um, like WIA was, WIA was forever to, to get reauthorized. Um, what are your predictions? I'm going to hold you to it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 50 bucks. I'm not, just kidding. This is not a wagering, a wagering show. <laughs> ah. um, so, you know, I think there was a lot of good bipartisan energy that's going to go a long way when we do get to WIOA reauthorization with, um, particularly with committee staff trying to work together on 
what are the broad outlines of what um, of what we need to modernize the public workforce system? Um, whether we're talking about a hundred billion dollar investment or other supplemental investment from reconciliation package, that kind of investment in the public workforce system would both mean being able to serve a lot of people, um, and and it also would mean a lot of responsibility to to be able to show outcomes for for workers for businesses. Um, and so I think there was a lot of effort to create a kind of WIOA reauthorization conversation that would enable and um, add to the advocacy around justifying that kind of generation defining investment in our public workforce system. Um, and so that's a long way of saying, I don't think that we're gonna see a massive WIOA reauthorization effort this year. I just don't see how there's enough time um, I think that we could see draft language, um, particularly from the, um, you know, or, or like principle level agreement, bipartisan agreement from either side, um, from either chamber. Um, I also think it's possible at the end of the year last year in the end of the year funding deal, um, there were some uh, there were some provisions that 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 changed pieces of the Higher Education Act, and I think that we could see some around edges pieces uh, uh, to w- WIOA, maybe um, maybe looking at the eligible training provider list or how we're engaging business um, uh, that could be part of the annual appropriations process, um, which the the fiscal year ends September thirtieth, but but will likely be kicked out further to the to the fall or the end of the year. I mean, I think what's really most likely is that on December 24th, before members want to go home for uh, the holidays, we see an end of the year spending deal that passes in a bipartisan way that may have a few around the edges um, uh, changes, if not fixes, to WIOA. Um, but I don't think that we see the kind of, you know, massive proposals that, um, that would that would change a ton in the, in the system right now. Well, that's interesting and great to hear because I think we're starting as States Association here in New York, like thinking through what are some of the fixes that would one, allow us to spend more of the resources, but also to serve people in a manner that we think um, in many ways is now relevant because COVID has changed so many things. Um, and as you know, the system ha- has moved virtual and it's been difficult, I think, for us to be able to con- contain in, in many ways support some of the virtual investments that we need to be able to continue to sustain over time. Uh, but also because we know it's the way that people want to engage with us and with products and with the system in general. And so how do we sort of stay, you know, 21st century or beyond, right? Um, so thank you for this, Katie. I hope we can bring you back in a month and we can celebrate the victory of not only getting the Jobs Act attached to this larger infrastructure package, Um, but potentially a hundred billion dollar party. That'd be a great party, wouldn't it? It would be a great party. Um, uh, Thank you again. And for folks who are interested, you can always check out what the National Schools Coalition is working on by going to their website, um, but also any of their sign-on letters of which I will include uh, both the link to the website um, and to the sign-on letter uh, in the text of this podcast. Uh, But Katie, thank you. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you for joining the Future Works podcast. You can download previous episodes at www.niatep.org.